As there is way too much Polish history in Chicago to have been covered in one episode, here are a few more things of interest I discovered while researching the main episode, including some info shared by listeners. As always with these extras episodes, if you haven't listened to the main episode, go do so now. Otherwise, some of these references likely won't make sense. And if you don't know by now, I'm Tommy Henry, and this is the Chicago History Podcast. The Sisters of the Holy Family of Nazareth founded the first Polish hospital in Chicago, St. Mary of Nazareth, in 1894, with the goal of caring for many Polish immigrants who settled in the area with a hospital of their own. That hospital's first site was a vacant three-story brick building, which the sisters remodeled into a 24-bed hospital, even after the purchase of the two-story frame house next door, which increased St. Mary's capacity to 44 beds, the facility quickly proved too small. Eight years after its founding, a brand new St. Mary of Nazareth Hospital was built, and over the following seven decades, there were additions and renovations made, until finally in 1975, a brand new facility opened. That hospital is still in use today on Division Street between Western and Damon. In 1898, St. Joseph's Home for the Aged, Chicago's first and oldest Catholic nursing home, opened its doors. St. Hedwig's Orphanage opened in 1910. I almost forgot. We have never had a Polish mayor here in Chicago, but have had many Polish names through the years in various political roles. Puczynski, Rostenkowski, Derwinski, uh, Kluczynski, to name a few, in Edward McClellan's January 2020 piece for Chicago Magazine titled, Where Have All the Polish Poles Gone? The writer shares that when Richard J. Daley ran for mayor in 1955, he put John Marson, a Pole, on the ballot as city clerk. Marson held that office until 1979 and was succeeded by Walter Kozabowski and James Lasky, who both went to prison for corruption, which pretty much ended Polish city clerks in Chicago. I've heard from a few people representing South Chicago and East Chicago Polish, so here's a little love for them. Chicago Southside had four significant Polish parishes, including St. Michael, St. Mary Magdalene, and Immaculate Conception. St. Bronislava at 87th and Colfax was established in 1928 to help relieve some of the overcrowding at Immaculate Conception at 88th and Commercial. Today, Bronislava is an integrated parish with 550 Polish and black families. Hegwish is one of Chicago's 77 community areas and is located on the city's far southeast side. It was originally a tight-knit Polish community, with many of the residents working at the numerous steel mills nearby. As the steel mills closed and Polish residents moved away for opportunities elsewhere, the demographics of that area changed. In October of 1905, St. Florian Parish in Hegwish was founded. At the time, there was no rail service linking Hegwish to the rest of Chicago. Streets were still dirt or gravel, and much of Hegwish north of 130th Street was still wetlands. St. Hedvig's on 134th Street in Hegwish is part of the Polish National Catholic Church, not part of the Roman Catholic Church. In August of 1966, more than 75,000 faithful gathered at Soldier Field 
to commemorate Poland's millennium of Christianity, which marked 1,000 years since the baptism of Duke Mieszko I in 966 CE, or AD if you like. Along with the rapid growth of the Polish population in Chicago came the need for Polish newspapers. In 1872, the Gazeta Polska, a weekly paper, appeared in Chicago. In 1890, Reverend Victor Barzynski, head of St. Stan's Church, founded the first daily Chicago newspaper, the Janek Chicagoski. Others soon followed. According to the Illinois Newspaper Project at the University of Illinois Champaign-Urbana, by 1930, even after the start of a slow decline in the number of daily newspapers, there were still 38 dailies being published in Chicago. 25 of these were published in 12 foreign languages, including Yiddish, Slovak, Lithuanian, Czech, and Polish, to name a few. I seem to recall Dominic Pasiga, pretty much the go-to historian for Polish history in Chicago, saying there were 14 Polish daily newspapers in this city at one time. Chicago is home to Janek Zwykowy, or Polish Daily News, the largest and oldest Polish-language newspaper in the United States, which was established in 1908. It is still published five times a week, and its weekend edition has a circulation of roughly 30,000. What about Polish entertainment? In 1918, a 1,000-seat cinema called the Chopin Theater opened in the heart of Chicago's Polish downtown, right where the so-named Polish Triangle, where Milwaukee Avenue Division and Ashland Avenue meet, is today. This was an upscale movie theater with comfortable seats and with ornamentation similar to what would be experienced downtown. The name of the Chopin Theater kept changing to the Harding, then back to the Chopin, then to the Pix. By the 1950s, it was no longer an entertainment venue, having become the home of the Security Federal Savings and Loan. Then it was a thrift shop, and then it even spent time as a discotheque. In 1990, Zygmunt Durkasz, a Polish immigrant, and his wife, Lila Head Durkasz, purchased the building and brought it back to life as a performing arts venue. Although no longer a movie theater, it is used for live productions. According to a 2018 piece by theater critic Chris Jones in the Tribune, Zygmunt Durkasz has made sure Chopin's lobby and side rooms look like they belong to a theater with roots in Polish culture. You'll find Polish art, tchotchkes, and at the bar, Zywiek, the Polish beer of choice. I saw the American Blues Company's production of their It's a Wonderful Life radio play there last Christmas, and I gotta tell you, I was nearly distracted from the play by just how cool this building is. Chicago is also home to the Polish Film Festival in America, the world's most extensive showcase of Polish film, which celebrates its 35th year in 2023. The 2023 Film Fest will take place from Saturday, November 4th to Sunday, November 19th, 2023, in three prominent venues in the Chicago area. In 1904, there was a baseball team in Chicago called the Royals, made up primarily of Polish youth from the neighborhood around Noble and Sloan Streets. Sloan is now called Crystal Street, and the neighborhood is just east of the Polish Triangle. That team morphed into the Kachusko Colts in 1906, then the Royal Colts in 1908. 
This team was reportedly unstoppable with pitchers that never gave up more than six hits per game. They even defeated the American Giants, one of the top teams in the Negro Baseball League, by a score of four to nothing. If you want to hear more about Chicago Baseball's American Giants and their player coach Rube Foster, check out episode 504 of this podcast. The Royal Colts baseball team often played at a field called Polonia Park, which was on the corner of Blackhawk and Elston Avenue at the north end of where the Salt Shed music venue stands today. In the 1930s, sociologist Ernest Burgess and the Chicago School of Sociology studied juvenile delinquency in Chicago by interviewing 1,300 street gangs. Of those gangs, many were Polish. With names like the Saints, so named as they were altar boys from back of the yards, the Playboys, the Ventures, and the Pulaski Parkers, Polish gangs have long been a part of Chicago's history. Polish gangs located on the northwest side battled rival Polish groups across the river in the Bucktown area and southward, where a different Polish gang occupied every block of Milwaukee Avenue down to the industrial area along the Chicago River. These gangs also engage in territorial skirmishes with Italian gangs of the Little Sicily neighborhood to their south. On a larger scale, some well-known Chicago Mafia members had Polish backgrounds. Jaime Weiss, said to be the only man that Al Capone was truly afraid of, was actually born Heinrich or Henry Earl Wojciechowski. Born in what is now Poland, Henry and his parents emigrated to the U.S. when he was just three years old. Vice joined Chicago mobster Dean O'Banion's Irish-Polish-Italian-Jewish organization known as the Northsiders. They controlled bootlegging and ran illegal gambling operations in their territory and engaged in other criminal activities, all while battling Capone's Italian gangs to the south. Honestly, reading about Jaime Vice made me want to finally do a Chicago mob episode. All right, I got one more. Joe Saltis, known as Polak Joe, was another underworld figure with Polish roots who emigrated to the U.S., where he ran an illegal bootlegging racket in the back of the yards neighborhood during Prohibition, that is, until Capone forced him out. I could have done an entire episode about Polish Catholic churches in the main episode, as there was lots of info, but then I got this. Bob Kay, who listens to the podcast over Saturday morning breakfast, sent me an email with the following. I grew up across the street from Pulaski Park on Blackhawk Street, right around the corner from St. Stan's Kay, where I went to grade school in the 1960s. From the parish records at St. Stan's, we found out that our family were members there since 1869. My great-grandmother's brother was Father Gordon, who was a pastor at St. Stan's K in the 1920s until he was assigned to start a new parish, St. Mary of the Angels, the church with the big white dome you see from the Kennedy, to accommodate the overcrowning at Sunday Mass at St. Stan's. Both the upper and lower churches were filled to overcapacity for numerous Masses all day. I'm going to interrupt Bob Kay's email for a moment to elaborate a little. St. Stanislaus Koska had 40,000 parishioners at one point and was celebrating Mass a dozen times each Sunday. Deciding to open another church nearby to help relieve crowding at St. Stan's seemed like a no-brainer. Back to Bob Kay. 
In the early days, there was a bitter rivalry between St. Stan's and the Holy Trinity parishes. There were actual fights on Noble Street between the priests and parishioners of both parishes. At St. Stan's K, the people were members of the Polish-Roman Catholic Union who planned on staying in the United States and make their home here. Members of Holy Trinity were members of the Polish National Alliance who always planned on going back to Poland if the partitions were ever ended and Poland became a country again. Another difference was that most St. Stan's members were from the Prussian partition in what is now Northwest Poland and Holy Trinity members were from the Russian partition. Even the language was different. I took an old Stan's anniversary book to work where there were a few recent Polish immigrants working. They said it was similar to Polish, but it was also similar to German. Most of the people in the neighborhood had some Prussian blood in the family tree because of the partitions. My uncle used to say that we were the German Polacks. Uh, Breaking away from Bob again for a minute, I didn't talk about the partitions in the main episode, so if you aren't familiar with that, here we go. The partitions of Poland occurred between 1772 and 1795, during which time Russia, Prussia, and Austria divided Poland up, and for more than 120 years, Poland ceased to exist. Russia was involved in a war against the Ottoman Turks in 1768, and had been so successful, Austria was concerned about Russia's growing power and felt they might have to enter the war against Russia. To cool things down a bit, Russia, instead of expanding into the Turkish provinces, chose to take over a portion of Poland. And by a portion, I mean approximately half of its population and one-third, roughly 81,500 square miles, of its land. Poland, still suffering the effects of the civil war, was incapable of stopping the Russian advance. A second partition was put in place in January of 1793, with Russia taking more land and Prussia getting in on that action. It was not long after the second partition was put into place that our boy Tadej Kachusko, who was a key strategist in the American Revolution, led a national uprising from March through November 1794. Kachusko was unable to build the forces he needed, and his uprising was put down. A third partition was put in place in January of 1797, which gave Prussia, Russia, and Austria dibs on the remaining land, effectively eliminating the sovereign state of Poland. This stayed in effect until after World War I, when on November 11, 1918, the Polish Republic was finally restored. What does this have to do with Chicago? Well, as mentioned in the main episode, when your homeland has been cut up and parceled off to aggressors, it might be time to find a new place to live. Like Chicago, which, due to the large number of Poles who settled here, became referred to as the Fourth Partition. A little more about St. Stan's. For 25 years, that church was headed by Reverend Vincent Michael Brzezinski, described by preservationist Victoria Granacki in her book Chicago's Polish Downtown as, quote, one of the greatest organizers of Polish immigrants in Chicago and America, end quote. Reverend Barzynski was responsible for founding 23 parishes in Chicago, six elementary schools, two high schools, a college, a hospital, orphanages, newspapers, and the national headquarters of the Polish-Roman Catholic Union of America, which still exists today 
Yeah, but did he ever have a mildly successful podcast? Moving on. Listener Bob K. added, I think the Polish working and living in back of the yards had it much worse than the people on the near northwest side. My great-grandfather was a bricklayer, and my grandfather was a sheet metal worker, much better than cutting up animals all day on the south side. I always appreciate your emails, Bob. Thank you. Did you know Loyola University offers a minor in Polish studies? According to their website, this minor appeals to the growing number of Loyola students who come from Polish and Eastern Central European backgrounds and those who are interested in studying this particular culture. The curriculum consists of courses in Polish language and literature with additional course offerings in related history, political science, women's studies, and gender studies, as well as global and international studies. One early Chicago brewery was the White Eagle Brewing Company, founded in 1897 by a Polish family and originally located not far from the St. Adalbert neighborhood on the Lower West Side. In 1907, the company moved to the Polish section of Bridgeport just before the Central Manufacturing District got off the ground. Architect John S. Flizikowski, who designed the brewery, was also responsible for St. Michael's Lithuanian Church, Holy Cross, St. Florian School, the headquarters of the Polish National Alliance of North America, and the Polish Roman Catholic Union of America, home to the Polish Museum of America. In 1910, White Eagle Brewing bought the plant of the Illinois Brewing and Malting Company at 37th Street and Center Avenue. Where? Center was later named Racine. Now, from what I can tell, the White Eagle Brewery was the largest brewery in Bridgeport, I should note that the White Eagle has been a Polish national symbol for centuries and reflects the strong ethnic consciousness of Chicago Poles. White Eagle had a good run, although they were busted a few times for selling beer during Prohibition. According to records, White Eagle Brewing ceased operations in 1950. Surprisingly, the castle-like structure stood unused for decades, finally facing the wrecking ball in the early 2000s. Of course, my love of old breweries in Chicago sent me down a research rabbit hole that now you two have to experience. One of the early locations of the White Eagle Brewing Company was at the Pulaski Hall building on South Wabash. This letter was included in Polish newspapers in December of 1892. After several months of laborious work, the Pulaski Hall Building Society has finally completed its task. The Society invites the Polish people to attend the opening ceremonies of the Hall, 796 to 800 South Ashland Avenue, on January 1st, 1893 at 2 p.m. To us Poles, the opening of this building, bearing the name of our immortal hero of two countries, Poland and America, Kazimierz Pulaski, will be proof of our spirit, our progress, and our unity in the presence of other nationalities especially the American people. This event will be conclusive proof that the Polish people in America have not forgotten their heroes who lost their lives fighting for the freedom of the people. It will also be further evidence that the Polish people who have been forced to leave their native land and adopt a new one want and know how to erect monuments to those who defended freedom with the might of the Polish sword. Because of this, the undersigned hope that the Polish people will accept this invitation and attend the Gala Dedication Services New Year's Day. A fire broke out in January of 1907 at the Pulaski Hall. 
the result of a carelessly discarded match. Two policemen were overcome by smoke, and one fireman, Lieutenant A.E. Michael of Engine Company 107, was badly injured when he lost his footing while climbing a ladder, falling to the sidewalk. And because I do love how old-timey injuries were handled back in the day, I'm going to read this as it appeared in the newspaper. This, of course, referring to Lieutenant Michael. He was picked up unconscious and taken to a nearby... Okay, hold on. Microsoft Word just tried to autofill hospital? Wrong, Microsoft. This is old-timey stuff. I'll start again. He was picked up unconscious and taken to a nearby drugstore where it was found he had sustained a broken leg and severe internal injury. He was taken home. Oh, boy. 20 women of the White Eagle AIDS Society were able to get out of the building without injury. The White Eagle Brewery at the rear of the hall was badly damaged, as was the adjoining dance hall. Damage was estimated at $100,000. Yikes! And just like that, I have a nearly full-length extras episode. Someone suggested that Chicago's Polish history could have really been a six-part podcast series, but who knows. Maybe at some point I'll go back and do that very thing. Thanks for listening.